1: Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify.
2: Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, taking you backstage and behind the scenes with the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Celia Keenan-Bolger and Gideon Glick. Broadway watchers will know those two names, Keenan Bolger's breakout came in her Tony nominated turn in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and she's since been nominated for Tony's, for The Glass Menagerie, and Peter and the Starcatcher. Glick, meanwhile, got his start in the original cast of Spring Awakening and has since appeared on Broadway in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and in the lead role of the fan-favorite comedy Significant Other. Now both he and Keenan Bolger are among the stars of Aaron Sorkin's new stage adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. With Keenan Bolger as Scout and Glick as her pal Dill, they play two of the most important roles in the show alongside Jeff Daniels as Atticus Finch. And they both face a unique acting challenge. They're two adult actors playing characters who were children. They're in the studio with me to talk about how they do it. Hi, Celia and Gideon. Thanks for joining me. Hi. So, To Kill a Mockingbird is a great big hit. People are really coming to the show. What do you feel like makes this story so popular
3: still? Oh, my God. Well, it's such an, I mean, it's meant so much to the nation for so long. And so I think it's become this enduring thing that we are now, now I say we keep coming back to. Right.
0: And that I think because so many of us encountered it at a young age and it had, it was like this moment in our young adult lives of our relationship to literature and our relationship to racial politics, that it holds this place that we're interested in revisiting. Mm
2: -hmm. Did that feel like pressure at all as you were were putting this show together to, you're sort of taking the you know, going in and kind of creating a new version of this thing that people have such clear memories of, right or wrong. You know, like, I'm sure most of my memories of reading that book are wrong at this point, right? Yeah. And
3: and yes. The answer is definitely yes. So much pressure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think also as as actors uh, portraying uh, certain roles, it was a lot of people have such strong ideas about what they are and what it means, especially because of the movie as well. Right. Right.
0: And that trying to we, there were, like, a lot of conversations in rehearsal about it being a new play. Like, Aaron would say that a lot. He was like, we're not trying to this put the This is Aaron book, Sorkin, by the Aaron way, Sorkin, listeners. I think you know that, but just in an up-and-coming, wonderful young playwright. But he, I think, felt like for himself, because he had written this initial draft that was sort of the book on stage, and then he was like, I really have to blow it up for myself, that it was important in the rehearsal room for him to say, like, this is a new play, so, like,
2: to remind As, you guys, basically, yes, right? Yes, yeah. and
0: that it was important and, and and challenging to know, like, when do we advocate for what we cared about in the book and when do we give over to the fact that this is a new production?
3: And that was like... And, that was a process. Yeah. And what's nice is that we had so... We, it was a long process because we developed it for a year right. coming into it. And so I think we all... Uh, it was nice dramaturgically we all had such strong ideas, and I think it mm-hmm. actually really helped the show come together.
0: And then I think in a good way, the harder you and longer you work on something, the less you start to obsess about expectations and the more you start to obsess about the work.
2: Right, to see it as itself as opposed to yes. the thing you thought it was going to be? Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you first got involved. You got a call, in. from what I understand, at least one of you didn't think you were going to be a at, at the stage when you got the call, it didn't seem like it was something you were going to be involved in because of the way for a while they were going to go, go with kids, right? Yes. Um, tell tell us a little bit about that. It was
0: basically, you know, I got an email from my agent that was like, I have a kind of weird request. As you know, they're doing To Kill a Mockingbird. Would and How long ago was this? This was in November of 2018? Wait. No, 17, 2017. Se- 17, right. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, or like October right. of 2017. And she was like, you know, Aaron Sorkin has written the first draft. They're going to do like a one-day reading of it, but he really needs to learn about the play. And they don't feel like they can learn about the play from an 8-year-old, right. like an 8-year-old and two 10-year-olds. Right. So would you be willing to just come in and read the role for the day? Right. And to me, I was like, this is the greatest... Job opportunity ever because the stakes are so low, but the room is so powerful. It's a role I have always wanted to play. Was that that true? Yes. Like, as a kid growing up, I would use, like, I cut a splice from the book of the Mr. Cunningham monologue and would do it at Detroit community theater auditions. So, like, this is a character that I feel.
3: incredible yeah (laughs) close (laughs) excellent
0: (laughs) (laughs) too and i remember when they announced that it was happening i was like what lucky little girl's life is about to change like who's the next sydney lucas right gets to play this part (laughs)
2: right right
0: um and so we went in and you know did the read the
2: and gideon were you part of that reading as well no i came
3: on a couple months later in december they did another one and you 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 and Will had already been cast. Okay. I this didn't. Is Will pull your co-star. Will yes. pull Who and also plays was Jen. in that? Right, that first he was reading. in the first one, right. yeah. And I was very confused about the offer
2: to just, and it was wasn't. It, was it the same offer? Like we just need some adults for now. I
3: think everyone was, even my agent was confused. They're okay. like, they're not sure yet. But then when I talked to Celia, she was like, "No, we're 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 signed up." And I was like, "Oh, oh, oh okay." Um, so that had changed by that point. You'd signed up by yeah. They December.
2: so
0: then like it ended up being a two day reading. Right at the end of the first day, Bart cheer the director he was like so it turns out like we're kind of thinking maybe this could work and you know in the novel and in the movie the adult scout's voice is very present and that we could you know theatrically sort of make this a memory play and of course i was like well please don't tell me that because all of the fun <laughs> yeah. that i had today so now you've is ruined the gone, yes. gone gone tomorrow because suddenly the stakes are higher <laughs> right but we did it and
2: was this first draft the very faithful to the book version No. Okay, it was. This was was Aaron Sorkin
0: trying to yes to to blow it up. Right. Yes, and it was really really good.
2: Yeah. And how? So once you had to wrap your mind around the fact that you were going to play some kids, how do you do that? What's what is the first of all? What came naturally to you about it when you found yourself doing it that first time?
3: Well, I find it was a cold read. I mean, for me, it was a cold read. For you, it was a cold read as well. Okay. So what came natural? Script. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had to call and read Aaron Sorkin in a Southern dialect in front of Scott Rudin, Bart and Aaron Sorkin. Awesome. Which is. I I, think. Did you have fun? You said it was fun. No.
0: No. I had. No, it wasn't. You were just. But you know what I did feel strongly? I was like, good luck to the eight year old. Because this 40 year old could barely. I was like, the sentence. I have to like say it in my head three times and then I can read it because right. it was complex. <laughs> there were like, a lot sure. of turns that it took. And then I was like, it's going to take s- crazy skill for kids to do this. I do think there is something, and I don't want to speak for you, except that because Gideon's so good in the play, mm. that there is something like the soul of these characters somehow yeah. lives in both of us.
3: Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think also in, in Conception... Um, it's more about soul, spirit. I mean, these are kind of, you know, uh, silly terms, but, but I think there's a lot of merit to it and that it's not about being a child. It's right. about the spirit or soul of the child. And I, I would say we are very, we have youthful spirits, <laughs> so we can lend ourselves to that. And, and I, w- I would say even Capote in his, when Capote is in his later years, he's still very youthful. Right. So you can you can connect all of those.
2: Right. Uh, you should explain. Uh, Sorry. Characters. Yes. to Capote uh, actually. Yes. <laughs> so
3: uh, Harper Lee is um, Scout Finch is Harper Lee and Del Harris is Truman Capote. They grew up next door to each other, if you can believe it, in um, in Monroeville, Alabama, uh, which is where Maycomb County. Uh, that is the fictional Maycomb County, or that's the real Maycomb County. Um, and they actually promised each other that they would put each other in their first books, which is wild. So Dill is Capote and Ida Bell, who's in Other Voices, Other Rooms, which right. is a, a a book that Capote published in nineteen forty eight, is is Harper Lee.
2: Did you do a lot of Capote research for Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yes. That was really fun. It seems like you really enjoyed it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I uh his life and his writing. I right. mean, he is uh, truly an ex was an extraordinary person. Right. And so but what was interesting about this uh, experience was that you had so much to call from. You had the you had *To Kill a Mockingbird*. You had the movie. You had the you had Harper Lee and her life. You had Capote and his life. And then you had all of his writing. Right. Um, so I would say Joel Knox, the the protagonist of *Other Voices, Other Rooms*, actually is a very big inspiration for this mm-hmm. version of Dill. Okay.
0: Right. Also, just adding to the expectation mm, yeah. com- component of it, like. I think we also felt it wasn't just about um, bringing the characters that are so beloved in so many people's minds, either from the movie or from the book to the stage, but it was also about really honoring Harper Lee and Truman Capote. Like, Did the you writers... similarly
2: do a lot of work? Uh, yes. That it just
0: felt – and, you know, she's a lot harder to find things yeah, right, out about. A... So
3: yeah, She's not
0: There's right. an amazing bi- biography of, about her coming out Um mm-hmm in the summer that I am like waiting with bated breath for. But we both went down to Monroeville. We both tried to, you know, read all of the biographies and anything that we could get our hands on. But the you said this recently, like the face of American literature was changed by these two people. I really think like the, their contribution is so enormous. And so if you if you have the opportunity to put those again, if we're gonna get into the cheesy language of like souls, but if you're gonna to try to honor that soul on stage, it's like you really want to do the work, to to find out as much as you can so that at least a tiny thread of them is infused into what ends up in the final production. And can you
2: one of the things I ended up being curious about, and you started to talk a little bit about this when I saw the play, is how you came to it's not like you've got all the mannerisms of a child, right? Which is what you were saying. Like, but you, as you say, there's also a youthful spirit to it. So it's like conjuring childhood without like, I don't know, picking your nose on stage or something, yes. right? Like, it's um, a
0: fine
3: line. Was yeah.
2: that, I, I imagine that was a sort of long process over rehearsal. Is that how that, how did you come to that? I mean, we never kind of really what you arrived
3: discussed at. how to embody the children. It was more of a, like, we were very curious as to when they were older versus younger, which in the when beginning. When you're speaking to it, like, Yes, back in, forth, in the yeah. beginning, which was important. And that sort of disappeared as well. Okay. Um, but we never really talked about the actual embodiment. I think hmm. there was something natural that happened. with with our pitch and with our body language um, when we were inhabiting the characters.
0: And I remember we would ask a lot of questions of, like, what... Because also there was this great interview with Harper Lee where she talked about what she and Capote, but everybody in the neighborhood, like, how they passed the day and what it was like to have nothing, like, to live in this little tiny town. And that we would say, like, what do kids do like what how do they entertain themselves and that that ended up informing a lot of the sort of physical life of the play I think that and we had bad ideas I I had really bad ideas and then some of them that we were like oh that actually is a you know that like fits in to what we're trying to build but it was it came more from those kinds of questions instead of like what's a gesture or what's a kid like gesture to do here exactly as well put Thanks, and
2: what as you've sort of played the story over you know eight times a week to audiences and seen how it lands? How do you feel like? And how did this is a question for you personally as well? How do you feel like the story lands now? It's sixty years after the after uh, Harper Lee wrote it. Like what resonates particularly now with us in twenty nineteen?
0: I think in a beautiful way what Aaron's script has done is that it's there are no there's nothing new really in the play, but there are themes that he's chosen
3: to really draw out. And I think And question a little bit. Yes. Which I think yes. is is very interesting with this adaptation.
0: But that this processing of to me the processing of racial injustice when we have all of the facts, including body cameras, including witnesses, including the modern day aspects of this, and then a jury that has all of the facts in 1934, and that we can still end up with the wrong With
3: verdict. the same results. Yes. Yeah.
0: That right. that feels pretty relevant and purposefully relevant. Right. And I think... I don't want to hijack this question.
3: No, I'm, you're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> Could
0: that, I also think the space, what it, that isn't about one specific theme, but I think right now we, as a society, feel so in some ways sort of helpless and at sea and that we don't have a place to process these big questions about our country and what decency and facts and racial justice looks like, that to do this play for 1400 people is like an incredibly moving experience because everybody's getting to be with one another and ask these questions together even though they might what you know recedes or or comes forth is very different for different people but People are having, I think, a pretty intense experience.
3: I also find what's interesting is that the, you know, the book is in the, written in the 60s, looking back in the 30s. And so now we're 2019, looking back at the 60s, looking back in the 30s. But the book also in itself is an older scout looking back. So there's something very um, – it, it's, 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 um, it's about self-examination. And so it's it, in, in the literary sense, but then also as a, as a nation – because this is a book that is, is the book that is taught. Right. And that,
0: I, I, I don't always advocate for adults playing kids, but I think there is something very interesting about having adults look back on this story and say, is this what I remember about it? Is this the book that we read in school? And in that way, the adults, us, Gideon and I, the actors, become a sort of conduit to the, for the audience, that we're all processing these questions together.
2: And so do you have a different take on the story now than you did when you were first exposed to it as kids? Yeah,
3: I mean, I think we're so fully immersed. For me, it was actually, the book was less about, I mean, the themes obviously were very important, but for me, it was actually how I learned how to be a critical reader. And so it taught me how to, because I I read it in the seventh grade, and it was about, oh, these are themes. This is metaphor, simile. This is is what to look for. Um, So... uh, It taught me to be a thinker. I think
0: in an interesting way, because I read it in a class where I think I was one of probably four white kids, that the themes that I think Aaron has sort of seized upon, particularly in terms of Tom and Calpurnia, that my classmates were sort of like, yeah, but like, what else? (laughs) Like, what else do they have to say? about this whole situation. These are the
2: African-American characters. Correct. Yeah, right.
0: And and my classmates who are also African-American. And that I think in some ways our play is even more critical than they were, but that it did start that conversation that because I, you know, worshipped Atticus Finch and thought to, you know, from my whole childhood that he was the quintessential figure of justice and, and good parenting. Right. And now... I think in the play, I have, you know, a more complex view of of who he was and what he was trying to do. Right.
2: And the play seems to have one as well. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about sort of how you guys got to where you are. Um, What do you think of as your sort of most formative projects? Sort of as either as artists or as professionals, just sort of getting to where you are. Celia.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm going to point to you first. I think, you know, what was... What I have thought about a lot on this process was Peter and the Starcatcher, which is mm-hmm. completely different. How but old it,
2: was your character in Peter and the Starcatcher?
0: She was like 14. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just going backwards <laughs> in time. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I
2: can't wait to see you play a three-year-old.
3: Thing. I was yeah. going to say, or like an infant. Just Straight like, up baby.
0: Is the ferryman like looking to <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm yes. available when this contract is done. <laughs> um, but there was something about watching Christian Borrell in that room. Bring so many ideas to the table that I felt like I want someday to be like that. I want to have as many I want to be as brave as he is and as um, fearless about just putting things out there and trying new things and watching him fail like a lot and and be unfazed by it or at least seemingly unfazed by it. And that I have, like, held that with me for a very long time. And I feel like this is the first time, and it probably has to do with the fact that I felt very confident with Bart and that because we have had a, a relationship in the past that I wasn't trying to be like, I'm easy, I'm not difficult, I'm not trying to, like, insert myself into your process, that I felt a little more emboldened. So I would say for this project that certainly Peter and the Starcatcher was one of them.
2: Yeah, Interesting. What about for you, Gideon.
3: Well, I hope this doesn't feel like a cop out, but I because I didn't train, it's it's hard. I, I, I've been learning on the job, so everything kind of feels like it's informing the next thing, and it and I'm sure we all feel that way as as artists. But it's hard to pinpoint what was most formative because I feel like the more I do it, the 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 depth is is larger, but also the harder it gets as well. Um So. you know it's hard to pinpoint one thing that was most formative
2: right what do you consider what have you considered sort of your biggest obstacle uh sort of on your road to being where you are like what is there one thing in particular that felt like a particular challenge that
3: i would say myself oh yeah yeah can you say more yeah i mean i think uh i always imagine going out on stage as a kind of a like a man who's on the precipice, uh, or a woman, and um, and like he he needs to he or she <laughs> needs to needs to take the leap. Um, and I would say the only person that kind of interferes with that is is yourself. I mean, the, in antiquity, it was called ecstasis, which is uh, to leave the body, and that was kind of the greatest form of um, feeling, and it was used in the theater. And I kind of think that's what that is. And I know that when I come off stage. When I feel the best is when I'm not in my head, and then I've, I've taken that leap. Um, and that, for me, I guess, because, I again, I didn't train, that's how I know I did a good job.
2: Right. You, came, you came to acting entirely through, just as an amateur, you found you found it in school? Is that how I, I,
3: um I, so, well, I started doing professional theater at, like, uh, 11. Yeah. You started pretty young, too, doing yeah, you professional did too, theater. Right, so
0: yeah. Not as professional, but yes, I've been
3: doing it forever. Right. Right. And then I, and then, because I, I was a senior in high school when I came to do Spring Awakening, it right. just became, Right. it just started my career. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, and how do you both think of film and TV fitting into what you do? Like, is that a thing you enjoy doing? Do you want to do more of it or less of it? Like, how do you think of your career in terms of... you? but you are known quite a lot for your theater work. Do you, uh, is that how you have wanted it? Is that, is theater like the place where you feel most at home or just tell tell me about how you think of kind of as you look ahead, what sort of you'd like to do and continue to do.
0: That is a multifaceted question (laughs) for me because I think in my bones, I love the theater so much. I love the collaboration. I love, you know, they say like theater is an actor's medium and I think it's not wrong that you really get to thrive in a way that other mediums you don't. But I think there is also a part of my brain that has been doing theater for so long. That's like it would be nice to like exercise different techniques and even though I, you know, I think it's all of a certain thread of acting, there are definitely ways in which, you know, camera technique is different than stage technique that I'm really interested in. And I think from like a sort of practical standpoint, there's going to come a time when I can't get jobs in the theater because people who are famous, who have been on television or in movies are going to get those jobs. And so that's a real motivator because I won't sell tickets if I just continue to be great in the theater. It just doesn't matter.
3: Yeah, I have a similar... The concept for me is to want to do film and television is so that I could become an entity enough to do theater forever. (laughs)
0: Yeah, same. Same. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: And what do you... What haven't you been given the opportunity to do yet as actors that you would like to do?
0: (sighs) I would say it for me it goes to the first thing I was going to say is like I would just like to keep playing different kinds of people that I think both of us have been getting a lot of questions recently of like like for me like why do you keep playing kids and I'm right. like hey that, yo I would love
2: That was an accident, to, right? Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> to um for that not to be the case, right. but I think When this business finds that you're good at something, it's, you know. And so, certainly, I think I would like to play sort of uglier, worse people (laughs) than, you know, what I've gotten to do in the past, like, really bad or mean or uh, terrible people.
3: Yeah, I want to play a villain very badly. Yeah? Yeah, very badly.
0: I think also both of us, I'm going to venture to say this, that we are um, easy to get along with and are well-liked generally so the idea of playing someone terrible is not particularly chan- like doesn't feel like oh my gosh but then people might not like me but i'm like i'm really not worried about that right. at all well, yeah and like also that's of- such
3: a silly I, I actors who do worry about that i'm just like cut it out are there are there actors who worry about that
2: uh, 100 percent. being like by people they work with no, I no think that, by an audience. the audience, so the audience oh, won't I like see, them see.
3: anymore and that know. there's
0: that idea that they're even it, that it all—it has to be beautiful. You have to look beautiful. You have to sound beautiful. Like that—that's you know. I right. think if you're more attractive than I am, you <laughs> maybe that—that's something that you will carry around. I right. don't say that in a. nobody needs to respond to that.
3: But well, um, <laughs> I'm just going to respond with shush. <laughs> but that—that's not something that, you know, I worry about.
2: What? Do you, go ahead.
3: I was
0: just also no. That's the end of that. All right. Yeah.
2: If you want to add it, just just let me know. <laughs> what, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you were first starting out?
3: I know this one. Go, Gideon, go. I mean, it'll change, but okay. <laughs> um, I think to take stock in what you have. I, it's again, this is an ongoing process. The grass is always greener, et cetera, et cetera. I think right now, for instance, we are in a play that um, where. Uh, people care about each other. Backstage, people seem to care about it. Offstage, um, it's doing very well. It's um, very easy to to see life in deficit and think, oh, what, what, well, what, how could this be better? Or, or what am I lacking? And I, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I'll say from my my experience when when I did Spring Awakening, I was very, I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. I, um, I didn't really understand what was going on. It became too big and I just wasn't, I wasn't interested in it anymore. Um, and, and granted, I was younger, but sure. I, I, I think I also, but I also thought, oh, this will happen again. Um, of course, like right. that, my idea was, of course it would be this big and this successful and, and it's always going to be this way. And just to kind of take stock in, in, in that. But I think what, what is so incredible with this production is that Backstage it's so extraordinary too. And so that doesn't come around often. So it's to just relish what you have.
0: Mine is like almost the opposite, even though I think it's <laughs> and which is that the only thing I can be sure of is that it's going to change. But they're not they're they're all the same piece of the pie. Yeah, because
3: you know it's not gonna last. Yes,
0: and that that I think early on there was some despair about I mean, I feel like my whole relationship with Bart Shear—that it was like this project that I thought I was coming in with—that then was like taken away, and that I was like, "How will I ever recover from this?" And that like you can't tell yourself, "Like, well, don't worry; in fifteen years, you're going to be in a huge hit that he directed." And that next year, what was the project by the way for the Light in the Piazza? Yes, uh I did all of the original. Productions of that. And then when it came to Broadway, I was, um, let go. Not in it. Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that, that was like a really obviously, but it was like a really intense and, and horrible early career moment. And then now I think it's easy sometimes when you're in a huge hit to feel like, I think my life is going to change. Like I think now my place in our industry is like, <laughs> going to be really different, and I'm going to tell you what it's not. Yeah. I mean, it might be a little bit, but like never, I think, in the way that one hopes when you're inside of something that is going really well. That it's like at some point I'm still going to have to audition again. I'm still going to have to be in some stinky production or a television show so that I can like get my health insurance and pay my bills. That you know, it's always it's constantly changing.
3: I think we are actually saying the same yeah, thing on totally yeah. different they are. sides They're like, of the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how we work. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so you guys are in Mockingbird for a while longer, yeah? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, do you have anything else on your plate
3: that we should know about? Um, uh, I, oh, I'm in a Noah Baumbach film, okay. um, so that'll come out. I don't know when that'll come out. I have a, a very small part in it, but he, there's a, actually, I don't know how much I can say. I'm what? in it <laughs> you're, you're in a Noah Bomba. Yeah. yeah
0: And I'm in a really Amazing movie Starring Mary Kay Place oh, yeah. Called Diane That oh. has like Some of the greatest um, Older actresses Of our time In it So yeah. It's I really recommend it It's coming out At the end of March oh, Okay Great Yeah
2: um, You're pitching your Dream project to a producer Go What is it
3: Am I wh- Well Stage
2: Stage Let's say stage
3: but am I in it? Yeah, I yeah. Oh, in yeah, it. you're in it. Okay. It's your dream role. Oh my God. Oh my God. You have to go because okay, it's on your it's tongue and it's not. It's directed by, we'll leave the director.
0: It's written by Amy Herzog. Oh, that's
2: good. we talked it's, about that the other we day. We did. And
0: that's been like in my craw. And it's with Stephen McKinley Henderson, Gideon Glick, Dee <laughs> Dee O'Connell. Um,
3: is it a musical? Because now we're there's just sharing. Music this. In it. Sorry, yeah, we're there's sharing there's the stream that's now. Cool. I like yeah, it. Yeah,
0: there's music in it, but um, it's not a musical. Well, you like sing. it's a play with music. Okay, yeah, right. And
3: maybe we don't have to even sing with an orchestra, so you don't have to be dependent on any form of rhythm or pitch.
0: Um, who's directing <laughs> it?
3: Um, we are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. <laughs> maybe Sam Gold. Have Sam and Amy ever worked together?
3: Um, not that I can think of.
0: So maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe they they maybe they know themselves better than we know them. <laughs> um, but it's like one of those things where I feel like it's these days, I'm like, who is in the room? Like, who is making the art that I want to be closer to? Right. And especially as I'm getting older, like, who are the actors that I see over and over again that I'm like more of that person? I want more of that. Is there anybody else we forgot?
3: I'm trying to think of other cast members, but none, none, none are coming to mind it's right small now. Cast. It's small
2: cast for now. Yeah. It could, there could be an ensemble. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing what's next, whatever it is. <laughs> Come Stewart.
3: to our Thank show. We're, we're, we're co-conceiving it right <laughs> <Exactly>. now. <so. laughs>
2: Thank you, yes. guys. Thanks for, thanks Thank for being you. here. Thank you. Thank you. That was Celia Keenan-Bolger and Gideon Glick, now starring on Broadway in To Kill a Mockingbird. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. And here's a little news for fans of podcasts. I'll be in Nashville from May 31st through June 2nd for the first PodX conference, bringing together your favorite networks, podcasters, and podcasts, from true crime and politics to pop culture and storytelling to, of course, theater and stagecraft, all in one weekend. For more info, go to podx.com. And until next week, see you at the theater.